Welcome to Show Us Your Bits podcast. It's season three. This is the podcast about the stories behind the jewellery and the keepsakes we love. Each week we talk to storytellers, makers, artists, founders and entrepreneurs about their most loved treasures. I'm Alice Rivers-Cripps, the founder and creative director of Posh Totti Designs, the original hand-stamped jewellery company, and we're celebrating our 20th year this year. Oh, Alice, that's great. And I'm Josie Lloyd, an author of novels like The Cancer Ladies Running Club and Life Saving for Beginners, as well as parodies and screenplays. But most of all, Alice, I love a good natter. So do have a listen and please do like, rate, review and share with your friends. And please get in touch with us on Instagram or Facebook at Show Us Your Bits Podcast if you have an interesting piece of jewellery or an anecdote you'd like to share. Let's get on with the show! Josie, how's your week been? Well, do you know, I've been working very hard on my book with Emily, which is very exciting, but I am freezing. We have the scaffolders in because I've got to paint the top of my house and also the roof's leaking. So we've had a torrential rain here in Brighton. It's and been uh, absolutely It's been horrific. biblical yeah. and it's running down the inside of the wall in my bathroom behind the mirror. It's disgusting. Um, anyway, so we've got to get the roof fixed and the scaffolders mm-hmm. came today, which has involved my front and back door being open all day. So if only just, I'm really glad I've come to your house. I know. Up. Well, you know, any time. I'll tell you what, though, with this biblical rain, it's been an absolute nightmare with a puppy. Trying to do potty training with a puppy when literally it goes out, gets completely soaked, and then goes, what are you on about? I'm not going out here. And then walks straight into the house and then does one right there in front of you going, I'm not doing it out there. <laughs> so I'm just kind of having to learn that so I'm waiting for the sunshine and then I think we'll all be all right. Oh, I can't wait. So, when, when are we going to call spring? Because we're at the end of February now. and March yeah. is always my favourite month because March is when you start to see the sun, you start to see the shoots of the flowers, you start to see the trees have got leaves. It's like everything feels a lot happier and warmer. So I'm waiting for March. And I know. If it doesn't happen, I'll just cry. And then we could take the puppies. We can take Ziggy and... Yeah, the, oh yeah, pickle. absolutely. Pickle and Ziggy would be brilliant. No, so... We can't take Pickle out until the 4th of March because she hasn't had her second um, vaccine. And I am so excited by the 4th of oh. March. Like, it's like a birthday. So exciting. We're going to go wild because we can actually get out there rather than me just kicking a ball around in the garden. Uh, well, she's very well behaved. I have to say, listeners, the podcast puppy is a delight. She's so cute. She's very <laughs> chilled. She's like, very she's chilled. She's unbelievably chilled. But I'll tell you what, if I get irate, she gets irate. Oh, really? I did have a bit of a nightmare in, in work the other day where I was getting really, really stressed about work and she just kept kind of looking at me and I was getting more and more stressed. And um, and I was like, just lie down, just lie down, just lie down. And it, it took me back to when the kids were little and if you get stressed, they get stressed. Yeah. And they really pick up on everything. And I was just like, oh my God, like, I can't go. <laughs> and then she was like, oh, I can't go either. And the two of us were just going around a circle. And then it was like, at the moment, it was like, let's just relax, calm down, start again. That's and sweet, though, much that she's sort of in sync with you. I yeah. mean, Ziggy's very much in sync with me. He's just he's just a darling. He knows exactly what moods are. I'm sure that they would, he, he knows my moods. I read this really scary thing about AI at the weekend, about how there's a scientist doing because you know that they're doing a, a whole thing with AI where they can take your brain waves and translate them into into spoken word so people that can't speak they're now taking brain waves with AI and they've found a way of being that able to get be people to, but they're going to do it with animals <gasps> so, so I could suddenly know what pickles thinking, thinking. So, I'm not sure I want to know I, mean, I don't know what language dogs speak but I'm not sure it's English but we'll, we'll 
but that's a weird one. But that's, but that's, a, that's a, a whole AI, oh AI thing. Gosh, that'd be incredible. That's a weird, That's weird really thing. thrown me, actually. I can't carry on. I'm like, what? What? I know what? that's... What? Although it would be lovely, because the thing about Pickle is she does kind of look at me with his face, and I'm like, what, what, what do you want? And the other day I was like in the sink washing my hands... And then she went next to me and I was like, ah, water, you want water. So I got her like a bowl of water, put it down and then she just wet herself. And I was like, oh, that's what you meant. (laughs) How do I read which one you mean? Oh, that's very sweet. Well, it's so sweet that you, I mean, you're getting it all under control and it's all fab and it's all, you know, after the mayhem of the first week, it's all good. It's all good. We're We're on a week three now, aren't we? Well, I'm very excited about this week because I have one of my very oldest I would say kind of, she's not really a colleague, but she's been in the same game as me for a very long time. And we've had a lot of jewellers on the podcast, so actually it's been very nice. <laughs> so you mean it's not fair? It's not fair. <laughs> so actually, we've got a literary guest this week, um, the very fabulous Adele Parks, who I have known for many, 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 many years and writes phenomenal books. I mean, I'm in the middle of one of her books. It's so good. I'll lend it to you after I've finished. It's, it's so brilliant. She writes real page-turning psychological thriller she's written all sorts so of things so I was going to say what is the difference between a psychological thriller and a domestic noir because we've had Julia Crouch I mean, on I'd who was domestic pretty noir much, they're pretty much the sort of they're very similar turf I mean um, Julia's, Julia would uh, be able to coin it much more because she's coined this this phrase I mean it's about kind of it's about the darkness and stuff. yeah it's definitely it, with, your everyday life yeah you know. Julia's um, Adele's kind of involve police procedures sometimes so it's about kind of like a situation it's kind of a situation that's happened and then she will explore it from all different sides mm. i think domestic noir is something is really twisted and it's not necessarily something that involves kind of like a, a an investigation or i'm so always quite... drawn to those books though and i realized that they were all kind of in that same yeah when you look they've got the same cover you yeah know, like yeah. that cover that you want to read on a holiday that yeah. i used to read i used to be really into kind of love and rom-coms and then I slowly gravitated towards more like, no, I want to read a really dark murder mystery kind of by a swimming pool. Yeah. On a French, you know, and it's like, it's in a really luxury mansion or it's kind yeah. of, you know, those Well, of... look no further than Adele. She's got a fantastic back catalogue of, she's published in more languages than you can care to name. And uh, she is an all round good egg. And it's just received well, a year ago, an MBE. So let's get her on. And find out all about our lovely guest, Adele Pox. I'm very excited. Adele Pox, welcome to Show Us Your Bits podcast. Hello, how lovely to be here. Thank you ever so much for joining us today. I am just in the middle of your latest, Just Between Us, which I have to say, she's delivering listeners she's delivering as she always does because it's gripping it's an absolute page turner and this is your 23rd book or is this your 20 it's really easy for me to remember because this year I will bring out a new book so I bring out a new book every year and I have since the year 2000 so this year with my 24th book in 24 years and my son also turns 24 and I think that's really easy for me to remember all those math, all those bits of maths. It's yeah. amazing though. So you started writing the same year that your child was born. Uh, I actually started writing a couple of years earlier. I got published the same year as my child was born. Yeah, I was pregnant during the first launch. The second launch, oh, he was born and I was like, I remember so clearly breastfeeding and taking him 
on the um like on the PR tour and being that. on an Esther Ransom show and her having to cut and I thought oh I've done really well on that answered all those questions really well what's gone wrong and she said would you like to go and get changed and again I just <laughs> I was quite new to the whole process I was like no I think I think my outfit's fine and I haven't really got many clothes with me I you know I'm, I'm, I'm new mum and I haven't really got clothes she went, yes dear and just kind of signal to my boob where I was leaking baby milk one of the things about being a writer is that I've discovered over the years you know I've been writing around the same time as you you get better and actually we get this whole thing that we celebrate newness and people want the new thing but actually there's a great deal to be said for learning your craft I think it's the best job in the world I absolutely love writing it's the best best thing of being able to be absorbed in this world that I can make everything fair I so desire or everything unfair but I have absolute control unlike the real world um and I still get super excited I change genre a few times all the way along so I've written sort of family dramas I've written historical and the last sort of eight or nine years I've done psychological thrillers which I think is a fabulous genre to be in. I'm still as incredibly excited all as I've always been. I don't know if everybody else is as excited. I hope they are. Um, you find new readers all the time and you do have some readers that I've stayed with. But I think by changing genres, I've kept myself fresh. And I think that's the biggest challenge as a writer. I never want to be a writer that sort of sits at my desk thinking, oh, you're kidding me. I've got to slog through this. Everything's changed. It's not the same as when I started out 25 years ago when, you know, there wasn't big tours, there wasn't constant, well, there wasn't podcasts, there wasn't social media, there, there wasn't really any way to stay in touch with your readers except turning up to the odd event, which you just sort of did three or four a year, um, or them writing letters to you. So it is all changing. So it is still exciting. And I do love it. How do you fit in your, I mean, you're very good at social media. Um, and we all try and take a leaf out of your book because you are very good at being able to do it. I'm useless. I hate, I hate doing it. <laughs> you're useless because you've got lots of followers and um, and you do lots of really engaging posts. And you always seem to be in interesting places or going and doing some research somewhere fabulous or drinking some fabulous cocktails somewhere. I am often drinking cocktails. That bit is definitely <laughs> true. <laughs> how, um, how do you fit that in with your writing? How, do you have a routine? I do have a routine. So I am 1,000 to 2,000 words every day, Monday to Friday, come hell or high water. I mean, the only week that that doesn't happen is literally launch week when I'm out and about. And I'm pretty good at saying, oh, it's launch week. I have to put that away. So I don't find it that difficult to do the writing. The other bits are the bits I squeeze in. So I I always prioritize the writing first. And then the social media comes after that. And I enjoy the social media for the same reasons I like the writing. It does keep you fresh. I talk, I think, authentically. Um, oh, I make it as glamorous as I can. Trust me. <laughs> when you look at those photos and I look quite nice, there were 19 more photographs where I did not look as nice. I try and keep it quite authentic. I keep it relatively private. Um, in so much as I'm very happy to share my life, but I try not to share the lives of those around me because that's kind of their choice. And social media is sort of, you know, it does reach people. We have no idea who it's reaching. And I don't mind that because that's my job, but it isn't my family's job. My husband's quite long suffering 
Um, I'm always sort of pulling him into these hugs and saying, oh, quick, take a photo. He said to me once, do you think you'd be this affectionate if there wasn't social media about it? And I actually quite often take my own. A lot of my photos are me drinking. And I have mastered that selfie of me holding a glass in one hand and the phone in the other and a sort of cheers moment. So, you know, that that happens. Perfect. Yeah, that's brilliant. So when is your next tour? What's what's happening? Uh, right. Well, in the end of March, I do a tour for the paperback of Just uh, just Between Us, which is the one you're reading now. Um, and that's a story about two families who are recovering from the disappearance of one woman who, and this isn't a spoiler, this comes out in chapter one. Um, it's a woman who is a bigamist, which is a very disruptive thing to be. Can we just get that out there? I'm not saying go off and be a bigamist. I'm just saying, you know, this woman did. Um, and then she went missing and is now presumed dead. And it's about the two families that she's left behind, one husband and two sons and the other um, uh, husband with no children who are missing her and are also under scrutiny because often if a woman has gone missing, a family member is responsible for that. And especially a woman who has been as disruptive as her um, and has perhaps given people cause to be angry with her. Let's just say that. Can I ask in terms of when you just talk about the bigamist, do you find that you have to do a lot of research in order to kind of these characters create these characters because I tell you initially I got the idea of writing about bigamy because I think we all live to an extent a double life we've just been sort of talking about it a little bit on social media that's one of the very obvious double lives we all lead we have our lives where we're pottering around at home and playing with the cats and you know doing the housework and all that sort of thing and being mom and wife and all of that and then we have another life or certainly I'm lucky enough to have another life which is actually relatively glamorous and I'm you know and I'm out there and people are wanting to hear what I've got to say in the world and how lovely is that and I remember once coming back from a really glamorous lunch in the shard with that my publisher had taken me to and I came home and I was on cloud nine and I walked into the house and I was in high shoes. So it was a while ago and I slipped on cat sick and I thought, oh, that that's the reality. And I yeah. thought we could, you know, I could take that further of having a split life. You know, an affair is a split life, but that's been written about. I've written about it. Lots of people have written about it. And I thought, what would be the most extreme version? I thought, oh, bigamy is. When I started researching it and reached out to sort of forums and I often do this when I'm uh, researching anything, it, all the subjects I've written about. I reach out to forums and I always say who I am and what I'm doing. So I'm not trying to sort of say to people on an Alzheimer's forum, oh, I'm here because there's somebody in my family who has Alzheimer's, although there has been actually. I, I come on and say, I'm doing this because I'm researching a book. And I did the same with this bigamy forum and said to people, do you want to tell me a story? Now, interestingly, people want to talk about their stories. You know that, You're, you do podcasts because people want to talk about their lives. And these people who have been victims of bigamy feel hard done by, not unsurprisingly. And they want to tell you what that felt like. And they want to tell you that they're not stupid and just because they trusted or loved, that wasn't a dreadful thing. But the women I talked to, and it was nearly women who were victims, it was nearly always it, that it was a male bigamist. And I thought, actually, I can understand that because of the biology. Men can flip from one family to another, but women can't so much because obviously the biology, if you have a baby. But I thought, I wonder how I could make that work, which is why in my book, she's um, a stepmom 
in one family and no children in the other family. And I wanted to explore what it would be like to be such a disruptive, and I've used that word a couple of times now, such a disruptive woman, because we are quite used to disruptive men, but we are not used to finding women who completely book the trend and completely throw over the social norms of, of defining themselves as a wife and a mother. I think we're interesting enough. People are so interesting. What's really good, what, what you do so well in your books, is that you take characters, you, you you breathe life into characters that you feel you could meet. I mean, I could feel that I could meet them or know them or that I could actually have come across this situation myself because you make it very realistic. That's such a great thing that you do, that you kind of get drawn into this story because you kind of empathise with these characters and all these empathetic things that you learn as being as being a writer for so long it's you're just at the top of your game it's so magical reading your reading your book it's so pacey um I do I do have a technique for my character development going back to that sort of how do I structure things before I even start writing and I obviously I write a book a year um but even before I start writing I interview my characters and I want to know them as well as I know close friends so I might ask characters, so for instance, um, Kylie, who is this uh, missing woman in Just Between Us, I wanted to know all about her childhood and a, a way to do it is sort of thinking, what's the first room she can remember? Uh, what's the thing she's most ashamed of in life? Has she got a single secret? Obviously she does. Has she got a single secret that um, nobody knows uh, who's her favourite sibling if she has siblings? What's her favourite colour? Does she have two sets of wardrobes because she puts on weight when she's on a period? You know, there's all sorts of tiny little details that will never make it into a novel, but it makes me feel really comfortable with her as a rounded person. And I tend to do that for the main two or three characters. And I have now hundreds of questions. I don't ask them all, all of them. But I do feel quite relaxed with these characters. So when I'm writing, if I do get to a sticky moment and I think, yeah, she would need to articulate this for plot now. She can't just have this in her head. And I think, oh, who would she tell this to? Oh, hang on, look back at my notes. Oh, her favourite siblings, her younger brother. Oh, maybe she'll make a phone call to him. Something like that, you know, that that's yeah. how they work. But your books are very meticulously plotted. Do you do the entire plan before you start? I always know where I'm going to end up. Oh, especially with psychological thrillers, you kind of need to know who the, you absolutely need to know who the buddy is. And you probably need to know how that buddy is going to get their comeuppance if they are, or how they're going to get away with it if they get away with it. I'm, I hope I'm known for my sort of twists, but not, not ridiculous twists. I don't want people to say, well, that would never happen. I want them to read the book and get to the end and go, oh yeah, I should have seen that coming and realised there were Easter eggs all the way through. And actually some people do see it coming and I don't think that's a problem at all. I think that's marvellous. So I do plot, but I know where I'm beginning and I know where I will end up, but I allow some fluidity in between. I think largely because I would bore myself, but also, and you'll know this better than anyone, Josie, that they kind of take, and it sounds as bonkers, sounds as bonkers as it could possibly sound, but characters do take over and they start having conversations in your head and they start having their own views on things and you just kind of have to let that happen. You quite often are having a number of lives in parallel. So you might have the one you're promoting, the book you're promoting. You might have the book you've just handed in and you might be editing and you might have one that's kind of gestating and you're going to start writing or you might even be writing it. 
And then, inconveniently, you have a real life that <laughs> everybody else expects you to be engaged in. And you can't switch it off in the same way as, as uh, um, I don't know, if you're working, perhaps if you're working, and I don't know, I wouldn't like to guess, but if perhaps if you're working in an office or a, a shop or a restaurant and you go and you have your problems all day, but as you leave that place, you can close the door and it's done and you come back to it the next day. It doesn't quite work like that when the things are in your head. It doesn't work in my life either. I've got to be honest. I'm pr- no, because you're saying I'm totally getting Yeah. And sometimes at night, I, I always talk about most of my collections are discovered at night or, you know, like I'll wake up in the morning and be like, I've created a whole collection. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah. And also my sons are always talking to me and I'm like, no, uh, what did you say? <laughs> the distractions. And then I will often have lunch and then we'll be sitting there and then I realise that we actually haven't spoken to each other at all and he's just like got this far away looking at it and he'll go bookhead and then suddenly we'll, some one of us will run out the kitchen and try and find a bed. Or there's that scrabbling around the kitchen going... I've got the idea. What was a pen? Where's a pen? We've got a pen. <laughs> never a bloody pen in our house. <laughs> no, we're kind of writing on well, we crazy bits of paper. Yeah, oh, I just need. To... <laughs> Emily did buy me a hundred ballpoint pens once for Christmas, which was the best present oh, I've ever had. Romantic. <laughs> <laughs> so you do lots of writing, but you also have done lots of work for charity, and you recently received an MBE, which um, is incredibly impressive. And Isn't I'd love amazing. to hear what happened so it was pre the ukraine war and my son was studying in russia and we'd gone out to see him and to go and see him in russia even pre-ukraine war you had to uh fill out a sort of 40 page document you honestly had to give your mother's maiden name and your bank details now as far as i understand you're not meant to give those two that combination of things to anyone but the russians insisted on it and social media and uh, lists of places you traveled in the 10 years before and all sorts of things. Anyway, while I was out in Russia, I got this um, message saying I'd got an MBE and I just deleted it and thought spam because they've got all my details now and it's clearly spam. So I deleted it and I got home from the trip and really was missing my son and, and feeling quite down and it, I write this spam arrived again and I deleted it again which I wish I hadn't because I was in such a bad mood it would have cheered me up um <laughs> and then it got around to sort of December we'd gone in November and it got around to December and in the end my agent rang me and said look you really do have to respond it's incredibly rude and I was like what do I have to respond to because I'm normally quite good at responding to things and he, he said well you know the, this this MBE I was like I'm sorry is that for real so it was tremendously exciting. It was absolutely off the scale. Well, I would say it's uh, one of my very favourite pieces in my jewellery box. I would say it's my favourite brooch, I suppose, because when it comes down to it, it is a brooch. Um, anyway, it took about a year before the date came up. So they say, oh, you know, it's here. It, we're going to present it to you because there was still a backlog from COVID days and all of that. And they don't tell you who's going to present it. I turned up at the palace and the, the Queen had passed by then. And it could be sort of Prince William, as was then, and, and Prince Charles, as we knew him then. So it could be the King or the new uh, Prince of Wales or Princess Anne can present. And I'd said all along, I just don't mind, I just don't mind. And then I got then, you're handed a little piece of paper, and it said the King was doing his very first investiture. But even then, and honestly, they ought to have taken this award away from me, considering it is services to literature, because even then I turned to my dad and said, does that say the king is going to give this to me? He's not just doing like the top people, is he? And like, he will, will he get to me? But he did get to me and he was very charming and I had a blast. 
but everything about it is hilarious because you're only allowed three people to go with you and so which I you know they have to have a limit they have to have a number so I offered Conrad my son first absolutely assuming he would say thanks but no thanks it's not for me and he turned around and said what an honor I am so excited you've asked me I would love to come so then I said to my husband which parent do I not take <laughs> and, uh, you know which parent because I am very lucky I have both my parents and um I said well my mum came on my Duke of Edinburgh award and met the Duke of Edinburgh when I was 21 so I kind of think it's my dad's turn and my husband <laughs> very magnanimously said I will step down so you can take both your mom and dad um, oh that's so I sweet. know I know and really sweet and, and my poor mom she can't remember it anyway my mom has she has got memory issues and um she sort of lost the memory of it within a couple of days really and my husband's constantly saying could it be my ticket could have been my ticket. <laughs> I'd remember it. Uh, but she is on the photographs, which is what counts. The king was amazing. He was very well briefed, uh, very charming, took a lot of interest, uh, asked a lot of questions, did ask the sort of questions you've asked today. You know, are you disciplined? Do you have a routine? Um, he, he seemed to want to know, which I have to say, I always think about the royal family. They meet a lot of people and staying interested in so many people is quite a skill. Yeah. Oh, well, congratulations. Yeah. What a lovely thing. Thank you. Describe to the listeners what the brooch looks like. Yes. Yeah, so it's um, a sort of red, couple of inch long, couple of inch square red cross, the glitzy heads bit, you know, the little medley bit, because it is a medal rather than a brooch, but I call it a brooch because you do pin it on. The interesting thing about the history of, of any of the awards, MBEs or OBEs or CBEs, they were originally brought about after during World War One, when they wanted to sort of recognise that civilians were going above and beyond, but they couldn't obviously give them the same kind of awards that you might get if you were in the army. So it's a sort of recognition of you doing something in your community that's a bit above and beyond, which I just find genuinely deeply humbling and amazing and. I really hadn't expected it or looked for it or dreamt of it. I mean, there are certain things as a writer you do dream of. We all dream of. You dream of being in the charts. You dream of the top spot in the charts. You dream one day they might make a film of your book. All those things. I'd never thought of an MBA. It never, ever crossed my mind. Just to be clear, it's not just for you writing all the wonderful novels that you write, Adele. It's because you do so much um, to help with literacy. Can you tell us a bit about that? The services to literature are not, oh, these are the best books that are written or anything like that. The services to literature, it's more about the work I do with libraries and with literacy. And largely, I work with two main charities, the National Literacy Trust and the Reading Agency, which are both charities that look at the literacy levels within the UK, which are actually astonishingly low. Now, they're astonishingly low for what I perceive as a good reason and also another reason that's less good. <laughs> and the good reason is we have an immigrant population. And so we have a lot of people who are second language. So if you're second language, your literacy levels are likely to be low. And we hopefully can bring up those literacy levels relatively quickly. So that's one issue that affects our literacy levels in the UK. But the other is people getting through the system 
from literally five-year-old and going right the way through the system to 18-year-old and still leaving with a sort of reading age of 12-year-old or whatever. Maybe that would be down to dyslexia that's not, you know, identified or even something like somebody who needs glasses and that's not identified. It could be because of uh, social problems that they're not attending school. There's all sorts of reasons. So I work with the National Literacy Trust and the Reading Agency, making sure that there's more books in more people's homes from birth onwards and people who don't naturally think of reading because perhaps their parents didn't are encouraged to at some stage in their lives so they will go on to encourage their own children. But my children, Adele, I'm ashamed to say, don't read very much. I mean, I can't get them, I can't get them to read books. They do occasionally. And the one that's rocks who's at university, she reads, but it's very difficult. And it's very difficult, you know, with a with a house full of books. And they've grown up with books. We used to read to them so much. Is Conrad a reader? But, but at, least they, at least they had that yeah. when they were young. For yeah. yeah. me, I feel like it's so important that they need to get it when they're little. So like it's that story time. And then they can kind of go away from it because it's not so important because they've learned that skill. But it's it's and, then, and they might come back to it. And the other thing is, Josie, well, two two things on that. One, your kids are obviously rebelling. That's the totally most normal thing to do, <laughs> because I think if you're both your parents are absolutely seeped in it, it's going to be less attractive if they're seeped in it if you're a casual reader they would probably pick up casually reading but I would argue and I'm sure I'm right but you can correct me if I'm wrong your children's literacy levels will be great they might not be novel readers and I'm not saying everybody has to be a novel reader that doesn't bother me at all it's lovely if they are but by reading um, fluently you increase your obviously there's the education aspect Obviously, there's the entertainment aspect, which is the thing that attracts us to it. But there's also a level of empathy if you can read well, because you live so many other lives. If you read novels, you you can put yourself in other people's shoes. So I think it's a great tool to have, irrespective of whether you read novels for pleasure or not. It's the literacy levels. If you if you don't have that, you can't read timetables. You can't apply for jobs. Nearly every single thing is online now. And it's not sort of like it was 30 years ago when you could go to your local town and pop in and say, oh, I could work in, I could work as a, a waiter here. And they'd think, oh, yes, you can or you can't. Now they'll say, oh, go home and fill online, fill that out online. And if you can't fill it out online, you are already disqualified even from that non-literate literacy job because you, you can't fill out the application form. And that's when it becomes a really big stumbling problem. So whilst it would be very nice if your girls did read, yeah. it doesn't really matter because they do have the levels of literacy to let them get on with life. And I think what will happen is you will find the girls will come back to it. Um, and I bet they read to their children. The other thing I was going to say that I find, and I've been trying to say to my boys who have stopped reading, they were very much like into Harry Potter. Mm. And I was so proud of them, like reading Harry Potter when they were quite little. And now I'm like, come on. And it's about finding the right book for them. But they, but it's also, my eldest is really struggling to sleep. And that's because he'll be looking at TikTok till the early hours rather than reading a book, which yeah. slows everything down and helps you sleep. So yeah. You know, I'm really trying to reinforce the reading again and trying to find books that will yeah. motivate him that he's actually interested in. You want so, a secret tip that I give to a lot of people that I meet. Um, you you tell them that there is a particular book you absolutely don't want them to read. You tell them 
it is either horrifying or it's just too adult for them or you just found you know it's just not for them it's it's too sexy it's too violent whatever you know and and you put it somewhere slightly out of reach literally on the top of a shelf and say just not that one just it's not for you and I swear they will read that book it absolutely works every single time because you know we all did it you know I look back at the books I read I remember reading Flowers in the Attic which oh oh, yeah oh I love that but it was so inappropriate oh we all read that in the school playground we have it I love that lace you know all those books that yeah lace yep definitely those were all the ones that made me want to write I had this kind of fantasy that I'd be driving around yeah yeah my platinum was my kind of like lace moment when I wrote did you remember and now (laughs) we are very excited that you're on the podcast because You've got some real treasures and heirlooms and lovely bits and bobs that are close to your heart. So apart from your MBE brooch, what have you brought along to show us? I'm going to start with these small, uh, more brooches, slightly <laughs> less fancy one, um, a little plasticky brooch and two plastic rings. I'm just describing them first. Inside the little plastic brooch and rings are little 1970s dolls. And it's an American brand of little mini dolls. Um, and these happen to be the jewellery version. And these were toys of mine from being about six year old. And I had these three and my sister had two of these three. And we got them at a newsagent on a Saturday morning with our pocket money over a period of months. As a child, I loved them because I thought I had these secret little friends. I was quite a lonely child, if I'm honest. I loved secondary school and I made lots and lots of friends at secondary school. I came into my own. But at primary school, I didn't have very many friends. And my friends were my library books and these three little dolls in these plastic pieces of jewellery. And I had endless little stories for these three dolls. And I remember thinking, oh, they don't have names. And a lot of dolls did have names when I was a child. You know, you'd, you'd get a tiny tears you'd get a cindy or a barbie i mean so i remember changing their names all the time and changing their circumstances and whether one of them was the mum with two daughters or maybe they were all friends or maybe they were sisters or maybe they were enemies and i had a different story for them all the time oh that's that's lovely and tell us about your cup and saucer because i noticed that you had a very beautiful beautiful porcelain cup and saucer i also love a cup and saucer but you have got a little bit of a thing about crockery haven't you because I know well my my little thing about crockery started with that little yellow cup and saucer so that little yellow cup and saucer belonged to my great-grandma when I was born I had three great-grandparents and a full complement of grandparents and I'm so glad they were in my life and I had that balance and also I had a very female talky family and there was always chatter. And one of my great nannies was deaf, actually. And I used to write to her and say, this is what they're saying. And I would write it out to her and slip it to her and go, oh, they're talking about this. And I actually also think that's part of what developed me into being a writer because I had to make it entertaining. And Well, I didn't have to, but I chose to make it entertaining and funny for her to keep her involved. Um, anyway, my one of my great nannies, my Gran Ridley, very interesting woman. Um, I have a poster which I could have shown you that was her as a dancer when she was a young woman uh, during World War One, uh, entertaining the troops. Don't want to know. 
But when she died, she left me that little yellow cup in saucer. It has no financial worth at all, I shouldn't imagine, because we're definitely not the type of family that have heirlooms at all. But in terms of emotional value, I think it is one of the most treasured possessions in my house because it, it matters to me. And it has led on to an incredible interest in pottery, which I've had sort of all my life. And recently I've come out about it and uh, started to show people some of the things that I make because I take old vintage sort of anything from 1920s, 30s, 40s, 50s plates and um, design sort of 1950s inspired uh, little quirky, slightly feminist pictures, pop them on with a little with a little saying of, of some kind, you know, like, I don't know, a 1950s girl in a bikini, but it's, we can all wear crowns. So she's not the, you know, she's not the uh, uh, Miss Miss Brighton of, of past. You know, we can all be a Miss Brighton. We can all be a Miss Teesside, all of that sort of thing. And I just have a lot of fun with it. I don't do anything with it. I don't sell them or, I mean, one day maybe I might, but I tend to just make them for people who say, oh, I like that. And then I go, oh, I can make you one. And then I tend to style the character around the person who I'm going to give it to and and find a way of making that work. And it's just a bit of creative fun that it absolutely absorbs me and is away from writing and stops me thinking about, it's the only thing that stops me thinking about writing. I can watch television, I can be in the movies and I'm still thinking about my writing. But when I'm making those plates, that is quite fiddly and that's all I can think about. Do you wear lots of jewelry? I, I'm not a big, but I love what I have. I have about four pairs of stud earrings. I don't suit loops. I don't suit anything dangly down. I love a necklace and a pendant and I love a charm bracelet. And I have two charm, well, I have several charm bracelets, but I have two that I adore. One was given to me at birth, apparently, can't remember. But my nana and granddad on my dad's side gave me a gold charm bracelet. Over the years, every other birthday, they would buy me a charm for this bracelet and the birthday my sister and I our birthdays are three years one month apart and the year they didn't buy me a charm they would buy her a charm oh it was just after Christmas her birthday is January my birthday is February they probably couldn't afford to buy us both charms but at the time we used to say why because they would buy one of us a charm and the other a really they would go to a secondhand shop and buy us something secondhand like from a charity shop in the days when charity shops were rubbish Absolutely rubbish. So one of us would get a great present and one of us would get a rubbish present and then next year it would flip. And we were aware of this. And one year we asked them why and they just said, well, life's like that. You get ups and downs. Thank you ever so much for taking time out to talk to us today. Adele, tell our listeners where they can find you. Oh, yes. So I am on Instagram at Adele underscore Parks. Right, I'm on the formerly known as Twitter, now known as X, and I'm on Facebook, and I am easy to find. I am Adele Parks. It's only me that looks at my social media. I respond to everything myself. Have you got any, like, top tip that you would say for 2024 that we can kind of take away? I honestly think my top tip, and it's beyond 2024, I think my top tip in life is purpose. A lot of people say the important thing is being happy. And I think that's a really hard one to go, well, how am I going to be happy? It's it's quite vague. We all do want to be happy. 
But I spent a lot of time thinking about what makes me happy. And I think what makes me happy and from what I can gather makes a lot of other people happy is having a purpose. And that purpose can be planting in your garden, baking a cake, looking after your children, um, being a CEO of a company, you choose. But having a purpose, running a marathon, whatever it might be, is super, super important. And I think we don't talk about that enough. We talk about happiness. We talk about ambition. We talk about looking after ourselves in me time. But we don't talk about giving ourselves purpose in life. And I think that would be my my top tip. Go and find your purpose. Mine happens to be at the moment, as I say, collecting uh, pieces of pottery and revamping them. What a lovely thing to do. Well, we can't wait to see it on Instagram. Um, Adele, thank you ever so much for showing us your bits. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, lovely to have Adele on the podcast. She was amazing and honestly just so interesting. And I loved what she was talking, all the work she's been doing with about reading. I think it's incredible and it's so needed, so important. Honestly, everyone should just be getting their kids to read. Yeah, if they possibly can. And I'm going to be hiding that book on the top shelf. (laughs) That was a good tip, I was thinking, what book, what book? Like the Karma Sutra. Yeah, maybe, maybe. (laughs) Mind you, I've got so many books in my house. I mean, you can, there's nowhere to hide because there's just, (laughs) we've got teetering stacks of books everywhere. I've actually got some books that are on on the cusp that I could probably shove up there and say, don't read. Yeah. Yeah, because it's got to be I've got plenty of mine well. I can bring around. I've got some of mine. I've got some of my, my more risque oeuvre. I can bring I've got around. your platinum downstairs. <laughs> oh, there's ones that are rooted than that, Alice. <laughs> anyway, on that very salacious note, we shall, uh, we shall end and have a lovely weekend. What are you up to? Anything exciting? I'm going to a ski party. Ooh, get you. Well, hang on, but it's raining. It's not snowing. What's the deal? It's going to be amazing. It's at Prey Ski Party, so <laughs> I have everything ready. I've got my all my ski gear, and I'm going for like an eighties tinfoil pink fuchsia pink leggings. I like tinfoil shell suit. <laughs> uh, did you, I mean, this, this is just like so OTT. And, and then a massive white shaggy coat that I used to wear when I was sixteen. Uh, yeah, that's but that just sounds like a very sweaty affair to me. I can't imagine wearing my ski gear. No, it's um, perfect because it's going to be outside. Oh, outside! So the whole party's outside. Oh, great! And everybody's dressed, so you've got a big fire. So it's perfect because we can all just go and hang out outside. It's going to be amazing. Oh well, I want to hear all about it next week. And um, we're going to do shots on a ski. Oh! So someone's made it so that they've got a load of shot glasses attached to one ski, and then you all have to hold it. <laughs> What can possibly go wrong? Exactly. Nothing. <laughs> I'll tell well, you all about it. I <laughs> can't wait to hear about it. Um, thank you ever so much for listening to Show Us Your Bits podcast this week. Do like, share, review, rate, all that stuff. And find us on Instagram and Facebook at Show Us Your Bits podcast. We'll see you next time. Ta-ra. Ta-ra. Ta-ra.